0: Hey Katie. Hey Ben. So today I'd like to talk about big problems. For example, one of my big problems is I seem to be getting less funny. It's it's harder for me to come up <laughs> with with dad jokes. Uh, I'm not a dad, maybe that's part of the problem. I'm, I'm an uncle but I
1: declare pun bankruptcy here.
0: I think pun bankruptcy happens when you when you would have too many puns to consume and it overwhelms you and you start over.
1: Well, yeah, that is So it's kind
0: problem. of the exact opposite. Well, whatever that's called. Uh, another big problem is one that some of us face in machine learning, which is what happens when the stuff that you're doing is too big to handle in a, in a straightforward way. Uh, that sounds a little bit vague, but uh, you'll figure out what we're talking about in a second. First, you are listening to Linear Digressions. Yeah. So big problems in machine learning
1: yeah it's a little bit hard to talk about this with a straight face sometimes because there's this phrase big data that is so horrendously overused as to be kind of meaningless sometimes but that's Mm. a little bit what we're talking about here how do you do machine learning when you have particularly large data sets that you need to do learning
0: on now in the past we have talked about uh big data as it were i remember we did a uh, episode on genomic data, which is just massive data sets. We also did an episode on particle physics, where we're talking about huge data sets.
1: Yeah, so the use case here that sort of inspired me, this is something that I and some of my colleagues have been working on for a little while, is how do you do machine learning, where the data set that you're looking at is millions of examples that you're interested in training on or scoring. And In the scheme of things, this is not the biggest big data that you could imagine. Particle physics has much bigger data sets, for example. But in particular, we were interested in building machine learning models using a a pretty popular Python library called Scikit-learn. If you want to use Scikit-learn, then you're going to be running Python code. And so the question that we had is, how do we build one of these Scikit-learn models in a way that takes advantage of infrastructure choices that we've made that can be parallelized so that you can run it on a really big data set.
0: And in this case, by we, you're talking about you and your co-workers.
1: Yeah. So I work at this company. It's called Civis Analytics. One of the things we do is build data science software. And we, it's one of the things that's kind of interesting is we use the software that we build. In fact, usually we build it because we want to use it in some sense. Um, And one of the problems that we were finding was we were repeatedly doing a lot of modeling around surveys. And one of the things about surveys is that very often there's dozens of questions on a survey. And you might be interested in actually building models of all of those survey questions. Similarly, anyone who's familiar with modeling probably is also familiar with the idea of hyperparameter tuning. So there's parameters of the models themselves that you might be interested in dialing up or down. So for example, if you have a decision tree model, If you're familiar with those, one of the hyperparameters that you have to tune for that or that you might want to tune is how deep are you going to allow the decision tree to go? Is it going to, are you going to keep it kind of shallow or are you going to allow it to go down very deep, maybe where you have a little bit more risk of overfitting, but it has a little more flexibility to find little pockets of, um, of examples that it can classify. Anyway, there's no right answer that's always going to be true. It's something that very often you have to search over many different options. And each one of those searches... You have to do is basically building a new model, and then at the end you compare them all.
0: Got it. So we're not talking about building a model. We are talking about potentially building multiple models, maybe with one hyperparameter, or even two or three, or uh, even more than that hyper uh, number of hyperparameters. And these are parameters that are having to do with the model itself. So you're not actually just building one model to try to solve a problem. You're building multiple different models tweaked in these different dimensions to try to figure out what model solves the problem the best.
1: Yep, so this is a big challenge for a couple reasons, just to summarize here. Number one is because there's, I guess three reasons actually. Number one is that there's these hyperparameters that you have to tune. So each model that you wanna build, there's potentially many different iterations of it that you would be building. Number two is that the data itself is sometimes very large bigger than you could fit on your laptop sometimes in training and almost definitely in scoring for the sizes of the models that we're building we want to be scoring or making predictions on very large data sets And then the third thing is that potentially there's a lot of different dependent variables that we're interested in modeling. So all those hyperparameter searches that I was talking about in sort of my first bullet point there, multiply that times 10 or 20 or 50 different dependent variables, more sometimes, uh, different dependent variables that you're interested in examining. And so then it becomes a very, very big problem.
0: Okay, so in the case that the data set is too big for your laptop, how exactly do you break up that problem? Like are you breaking up that problem so you can run it on multiple different people's laptops or so you can run some subset of the problem and then later on run the entire problem on a machine with more storage or like how how does that actually look?
1: Yeah, so there's two answers to this question and which answer I pick. So the first answer is specific to if you want to train a model where that model is has to be trained on a very large data set. And there are actually specific architectures and algorithms that are sometimes designed for just that case. Um, We wanted to use Scikit-Learn because it's a very common machine learning library. We use it all the time. So we wanted to kind of like stick with our key tools and build out a technology that supports that. So this is not a particularly interesting answer, but, but we basically take advantage of Amazon Web Services cloud computing resources where you can buy time on a computer um, and you can say how big you need that computer to be like how much memory it needs to have. So even though my laptop has something like eight gigs of RAM, you can dial up I don't know exactly what our top number is, but 20 or 30 gigs or something like that without any real difficulty. And for our purposes anyway, that's usually big enough for you to tri- fit your training set into into memory for what what it is you want to do. So it's kind of a weasel answer, but for our yeah, purposes, this is it that say. actually takes care of it That's <laughs> kinda of training.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny because like I I expected, I, I almost expected like oh well we've got this super powerful computer in our our cabinet or or closet or whatever. But no, you know, you just throw it on the cloud via Amazon and you pay Amazon some money and they they take care of spinning up the machines and it's it's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that most serious it's, machine learning is happening like it's I'm not gonna say it's all happening on the cloud, but more and more it's being moved over to the cloud for this exact reason. like you kind of want to be able yeah. to scale it up and down. Um, so and what I'm also
0: hearing things, yeah. is this is something that I could just go do. Like, I don't, I don't need something super secret proprietary to run these large jobs. If I don't have enough disk space on my machine, like I could just buy some time on AWS.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, Hypothetically, now actually administering those AWS instances can be kind of a hassle. Mm, Yeah, that's true. You know, like, let's be a little bit honest here. That's kind of like my company's business plan is like, help you out with like that whole process and, and take care of like, some of the the infrastructure that's involved in like having the data and the analysis like happening on the same computers and things like that so hypothetically sure but in practice that's in practice it's more complicated yeah (laughs) Yeah. um but anyway yeah now where it gets a little bit more interesting again this is a little bit tuned to our specific use case but our specific use case is usually a regime where the training data yeah you can kind of like sneak in, you know, limbo under the the limitations of the technical constraints on any one machine. However, if you need to score your model, if you need to make predictions with it, that is a different ballgame because very often, just think about it, if you have a data set that's based off of a survey, surveys are typically taken by a few thousand people at most, but you might be interested in making predictions for everyone who lives in, say, a city or everyone who lives in a state or everyone who lives in the country. And now we're talking about uh, an upper limit of several hundred million people or several hundred million predictions you have to make. And that is Mm -hmm. a very different ball game. I see. The short answer here, the way that we do this is parallelization. So we break up the scoring set across a bunch of different machines and we put different pieces of the data set on different machines and we have them all run in parallel. And kind of the magic here is that that's not something that you as a user have to worry about. It's kind of like all taken care of. But I think it's worth talking about exactly why that's so important. So I went into the Scikit Learn docs and was reading a little bit about prediction latency, like what makes a machine learning algorithm slow to score. And there are a few different things that can contribute to this. So first is the number of features. If there's lots of features in the data set, that means, number one, there's more data that has to be sort of all in the same place at the same time in order for it to be making these predictions. So, And then in general, also the algorithms tend to be more complex when they have more features involved with them. So that's one thing that can slow it down is if it has lots of features. The second is that exactly how the input data is represented and if it's very sparse. So there are certain types of algorithms that are designed for dense data or for sparse data and the exact representation, how is the data kind of like stored in memory and how accessible is it to the algorithm when it's going to like make predictions on an individual case? Um, then that can a- affect how fast it is to score one of these models. The third is model complexity. And this is a little bit tied in with the idea of how many features are there, but it's not exactly the same thing. You could have a very complex model with only one or two. Well, I guess it'd be hard to do it with only one feature, probably. Well, I guess you could do it with one feature. Anyway, you could imagine a pretty complex model that only has a couple levers if you're making like very fine distinctions or very careful cuts on just a couple features. You can still end up with a pretty complex model. The next is feature extraction. So imagine that you have kind of a, a raw data set that you're dumping into the algorithm and some algorithms in particular, like a neural net maybe, will take those features and they'll kind of transform them or recombine them or extract other features from the original raw features. And so then the algorithm is potentially doing kind of several things all at the same time it's doing the feature engineering and then it's doing the predictions off of the features that it's making as part of the the whole modeling algorithm pipeline so if you have to do something like that that'll slow things down obviously last is whether you're thinking about this as a bulk prediction job or as kind of a -a one-at-a-time streaming prediction so do we know up front that we want to score this model for everybody in the city of Chicago? Or is it going to be more called in a situation where, say, somebody is sitting there querying it from their computer and they just want to know the prediction for one person at a time. Maybe it's somebody who's approving loans or something like that. Um, So then they would want to fire off a single question, like, this person has just applied for a loan. What should I say? Mm, I see. And so depending on, yeah, which one of those two scenarios you're dealing with, that can affect basically the efficiency of the model. And in general, I, th- I think it's probably generally true that if you do say a thousand predictions in bulk, that'll be faster than if you do a thousand times one individual prediction at a time. Um, and in particular, our use case, a lot of the stuff that we do is more oriented toward kind of this bulk batch prediction stuff. So that's a little bit, one of the one of the choices that we have, that we've optimized for a little bit in this parallelization scheme. So we say there's an entire this big data set, and we're going to farm it out across a whole bunch of computers, have each one of those computers calculate predictions for its slice of the data set, and then combine it all back together at the end for kind of like a complete list of predictions.
0: Okay, so I have a question for you. Parallelization can definitely be really, uh, a really powerful thing, not just applied to machine learning, but just in general, if you can get, uh, if you can break a problem up, and you can do, you know, one sixteenth of it, alongside the next 16th and the next 16th, and you could get 16 times faster because you're doing all of these pieces in parallel, right? Um, What kinds of performance benefits are you seeing from parallelizing these?
1: So let me tell you what typical benchmarks are
0: yeah that's a good yeah for just
1: how fast these algorithms can be again this is based on the scikit learn documentation and the benchmarks that they've made for themselves so the exact implementation can matter here Um, but these are typical numbers for the algorithms that scikit-learn has running out of the box so let's suppose that you're running a linear model these are some of the simplest algorithms to score and so they go pretty fast so a typical number for scikit-learn might be 13,000 predictions per second that you can crank through. Of course, this is a little bit contingent on the exact machinery that you have, um, but 13,000 per second is like kind of a typical number that they said they they would see for a linear model. And so if you imagined a world in which you had a single ridiculously overpowered machine that is has to crank through, say, a couple hundred million predictions, then At 13,000 predictions per second, I did a little back of the envelope math here, and that's over four hours or so to score Mm -hmm. that full data set, Uh, which in the scheme of things is not that long. Uh, Now, there's no computer, I don't think, that could actually do this without a lot of weird memory management things. Um, because the data set that you're trying to predict on is so big that it's not going to fit into memory. So you have to be shuffling pieces of it in and out of memory from like disk and it it would be like kind of a hassle. So I think four hours would be like an absolute floor. And I think it would actually probably take a lot longer than that, but like four hours.
0: It's interesting because a lot of the times you think about these problems as, okay, how fast can I calculate these things? Right. Uh, What is, what is my, CPU speed and, you know, do that math. But the reality is that you're oftentimes bottlenecked by other things, such as like disk IO, for example.
1: Totally. Yes, 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 for sure. So linear models are, as far as I'm aware, the fastest algorithms that are in scikit-learn. I could be wrong about this, but of the examples I was looking at, linear models uh, kind of sweep the field away. So remember, I didn't do the full back of the envelope here, but remember that 13,000 per second gives us over four hours. For something like a random forest, a random forest is a lot slower because in a random forest, there's basically many different trees that a case has to, or an individual prediction has to pass through in order for you to come up with your prediction here. A random forest you might have 50 trees in that forest which means you have to make 50 predictions and then kind of aggregate them back up at the end into a single prediction for that and this slows it down a whole heck of a lot so where linear models were 13,000 per second a random forest might be something like 200 per second
0: Ooh, so
1: this that's is slow. yeah this is a factor of about a not a hundred but like it's order 50, of magnitude yeah. it's yeah it's like 50 to 100 times slower so that four hours, now, if you wanted to do a random forest, yeah. random forests are like, for a lot of things, they're going to be better for you than linear models. But now we're mm-hmm. talking to 50 to 100 times slower, right? Whew. And then. That's,
0: yeah. So now you're in the <laughs> yeah. order of days and maybe even a week or two.
1: Yeah. How many hours are in a week? Uh,
0: 24 times 7? 7 times 24, of course.
1: <laughs> so it's a little bit less than 200 or so. So yeah, we're talking about like, let's say two weeks. <laughs> it's it's going to be a mess. You You don't. Yeah, this is not going to be tenable for you. Um, And then the last one, the last data point here is uh, a support vector machine. And support vector machines kind of split the difference. Uh, So it looks like a typical number for an SVM might be 6,000 per second. So it's about half as fast as the linear model. So instead of four hours, it's going to take eight, ignoring any kind of like data IO costs. So an SVM is like still maybe something that's tolerable, like you can you could conceivably run it overnight or something. Um, mm-hmm. But as we said, the parallelization really is kind of like what makes this all possible. And so typical numbers that we would see for our parallelization, just to kind of close the loop here, it depends, of course, on how many machines you parallelize over, because The more machines you have running in parallel, the smaller the pieces are that each machine has to handle, which means it can run faster. However, there's big overhead for kind of managing all those different machines at the same time and collecting everything at the end. So there's kind of a sweet spot. Um, And for us, that's usually something like 20 to 50 machines running in parallel. And with something like that, we can usually score one of our big and complex models in typically under an hour. And in the right circumstances, I think it can be even under half an hour. So this is, a uh, again, it's not going to be instantaneous. <laughs> of course, it's still mm-hmm. expensive mm-hmm. to score these models. Um, but it's in the realm of the possible now to basically be scoring these scikit-learn models on these gigantic
0: data sets. Can you put that in context of uh, the three numbers that you had before? So the sure. 13,000 operations per second, the, what was it, Thirteen thousand six thousand and two hundred.
1: Yeah, so this is going to be, Let me do a quick calculation of how many we do per second then.
0: Cue the Jeopardy theme music.
1: Yep. So I just did a quick calculation. If you have 200 million people or 200 million cases that you want to score, which is in the ballpark of the full population of the United States, full population is probably something like 300 or 320 million, but like some of those are under 18 and like whatever. So like 200 million might be a more typical number for us. And then if you say that took an hour, so that's 3,600 seconds in an hour, 60 times 60, and that comes out to about 56,000 per second, which means that we're a factor of about four faster than if you were doing a linear model on a single computer in like some imaginary, uh, hyper clean environment in which you don't have to move data around at all. And, and all of these other things that make that number a little bit unrealistic. This is like the actual number that, that we will typically see for something like this.
0: Nice. That's that's really cool. That's impressive.
1: Yeah, it's neat. So anyway, I, I don't usually talk about stuff that I uh, do at work here, just because I think it's kind of fun to have, um, you know, work life balance, so to speak. Um, but this is something that was neat enough. And it's the The problem that we're trying to solve is hard enough and the, the solution that we've come up with is interesting enough that I thought it was kind of cool anyway. Just how do you do machine learning at scale? Well, let me tell you how we do it anyway. A lot of people have are grappling with this problem in a lot of different contexts. Like you work at Facebook. I'm sure that Facebook has all kinds of incredible like big data machine learning infrastructure uh, we could go on and on about this at length. But anyway, it's it's an important part of being a data scientist. I think it's something that we talk about the methodologies a lot on this podcast and the applications. Um, but sometimes you have to actually figure out how to do this stuff in environments where the engineering is is also a big part of it. And so that seemed like something that was worth talking about.
0: Okay, so now I've heard all about it. If I want to go read about it, where do I go?
1: Oh, sure. So we have a blog post that was written by one of my most excellent colleagues, and one of the people Wait, do you, who you have act- non-excellent
0: colleagues? No, they're okay. all excellent. <laughs>
1: um, but this was one of the people who actually had his hands on the keyboard for a lot of this implementation. Um, so we will post a link to this at LinearDigressions.com. As always, it's got some sample code snippets on there just to show what this looks like. In terms of actual use, if, if you're interested in playing around with this, it, it's available now in the software platform that Civis sells to like make money and stuff um so you can check it out but it's like kind of within the context of our platform so there's like free trials and stuff like that i'm like the world's worst salesperson um anyway the point is like it's possible but it's not like trivial but if you're super duper interested you'll be able to figure it out from the blog post anyway um yeah it's kind of neat awesome thank you katie thank you ben
0: can tweet us at lindigressions. Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.